I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello? Hello? Podcast Network Asia. Look at all the companies going broke, unfortunately, closing down. Now is a good opportunity if you have the cash. Sometime in January next year, where a lot of the population has already been vaccinated, will start be coming up again. You know, now is the best time for acquisitions, partnership, liquidity rounds, to buy into them or get a concept. You don't have to innovate. You don't have to innovate. You just copy and replicate and improve. Look at those opportunities, even though it's bad for some, but it might be good for you. And happy Easter to everyone. Welcome to our second week in ECQ. I hope you're all having a happy Tuesday again. Good evening, good day, and good afternoon to everywhere you were listening from. My name is RJ Ledesma again. Thank you so much for joining us for the RJ Ledesma podcast. And in my podcast, I interview the country's pioneering business personalities and entrepreneurs and learn more about how they think about business, what are their success secrets, how they've innovated their businesses during this pandemic, and more importantly, what opportunities do they see emerging during this time of the new normal and even to the next normal? Now, is there a business personality or entrepreneur that you would like me to interview here on the podcast? Please let me know. Drop me a message. We're also live on Kumu, CBRC TV, Global Pinas TV, and now on Bounce Back Network. Now, I'm also very happy to announce that the RJ Ledesma podcast is part of the Top Asia podcast for 2021 of Player FM. So again, thanks again to all the listeners for the support. If you've been enjoying my business podcast and you've learned a lot from it, please subscribe and please share it to more of your friends who would like to listen to the RJ Ledesma podcast. Now, my guest for tonight, I've been eyeing him for the longest time. I've seen the meteoric growth of his company and uh, himself professionally as a marketer and an innovator. And also I've seen him as an entrepreneur creating his own businesses as well. As you can see with him, everything is on fire when it comes to Marvin Tu Lim. Marvin Tu Lim, my guest here for tonight is Mega Global Corporation's Chief Growth and Global Officer. I am very curious to find out what exactly a chief growth officer does and what the metrics are for that one. So hopefully Marvin tells us more about that later on. Now, with his distinguished marketing career and entrepreneurial expertise, he has headed the company growth for Mega Sardines over the last six years. He's had a lot of pioneering efforts, thus strengthening its position to become a market leader in the industry. And aside from his success in the field, Marvin is also the current president of the Philippine Association of National Advertisers, or PANA. So with that, can I please welcome here right now, Mr. Marvin Tulim. Marvin, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you. Thank you, RJ, for having me. Thank you for 
finally, we were able to uh, uh, do this talk together. I'm very much excited. And uh, thank you for listening, everyone. Hopefully, you, I can impart some of my experience. And uh, hopefully, you guys learn something. Uh, hopefully, it's good rather than bad. <laughs> and what I, what I enjoy about this one, you know, M Marvin, I know that, you know, you work uh, with your dad, Mr. William Chulim. And uh, Mr. Lim, we were both together in the 2019 Asia CEO Awards. I remember that night he was, we were all, we were all in line, uh, you know, uh, receiving our awards. And I was really impressed by what, what he's done with the company. And similarly, uh, on the on the show together with Josiah Go, where I hosted and moderated several of the sessions and I had a chance to interact with your dad, are really great insights from him. But, you know, tonight, the insights which I really want to gather from you is, you know, how you can be actually an entrepreneur or sort of keep an innovative mindset when you are working inside the family business because that's a totally different dynamic. But before I get into that one, and this is going to be very interesting. So you're the president of the Philippine uh, Advertisers Association, right? That's PANA? PANA, now, Philippine Association of National Advertisers. National Advertisers. Yes. Now, interesting thing is you had to clear an ad through PANA as well, which is the most recent ad, and it's been coming out. It's, it's been critically acclaimed, and people have been critical of it as well, uh, which is the newest Mega Sardines ad. And it, it's very interesting because it, it it had a lot of traction, not just here locally, but internationally, where where, adver where you know advertisers, creative directors are looking at it. And, and just for the recall of everyone, uh, Mar Marvin, maybe you, you better tell the story. Tell the story of how the ad works. <laughs> so uh, so it was an ad that we recently placed online um, for Megatuna. It wasn't for Mega Sardines. Megatuna is one of our newest brands that we have right now. So we're up against giants, as you know. And, uh, you know, we, we wanted to be creative. We wanted to make an impact. We wanted to make sure that the brand was still young and, and specifically target markets for the younger generation. So we had to do something different. We tried the traditional approach uh, a few years back and... Uh, so we did for, something for Megatuna yeah. also. Yeah, Me for Megatuna. Yeah. Ah, okay. We tried the traditional endorsement route, BBC route, and all that. And uh, yes, it did work. But then again, we were up against giants, so we, you know, we had to carve out our own niche. So what we did was we produced a two-minute ad uh, that was out of this world, produced by uh, the award-winning agency Gigil, who are our friends. Thank you very much to them. And the ad was about uh, enjoyment of a specific specific product, our product. So um, it was called, uh, the project name was called Ingit. So it was about being, you know, Ingit or envious of uh, other what other people are eating. So we just put the ad out and we made a lizard, a butike, envious of a person eating it and replacing uh, the butike to the person's shoes. So a lot of people thought it was weird. A lot of the older generations didn't even understand it. So you know, it was a lot of mixed emotion, a uh, mixed reactions, but it was overwhelmingly positive, especially from our target market. So we were very happy about that. Now, I, I wanna I wanna get into this because you know I, I was a former brand manager for Procter and Gamble. So you know, my I, I put my marketing hat on when, when watching that ad. And the, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is that, you know, what was the insight that you were trying to generate at that time? When you were producing that, I guess the marketing insight. I want people to be in it, but how did it how did it connect to the lizard? And then, for, what is the creative process that went into it? And more importantly, um, there's a generation gap. It's your dad and you guys running it. Paano mo na paano niyo nakubinse yung daddy niyo na ipatakbo yung ad na yan? Sorry, I mean that, that, that's for me. What, what was going through my head when I was watching it? 
That's a very, very, very that's a very good story, no? Well, it all initially came from the product itself, no? Um, the product that we had was very unique. Um, no other competitor had it, and uh, when we had it taste tested, everyone loved it. It was, uh, I would, I wouldn't say superior, but the taste was very different and it was very tasty and delicious. It was mega tuna Spanish style, so tuna flakes in a Spanish style oil, which was very flavorful, and it all comes from no extenders, bigger flakes, less oil. So it was truly a different type of product. So it all stemmed from there. And uh, whenever we would do the traditional selling, taste testing, people would love it. People would eat it and, uh, in the supermarkets and they would get, grab some from the shelves and convert. So we knew that the product was a winning product. So we needed mm -hmm. to convey that. So how could we convey it? And the, we, we tapped an agency that was, you know, um, very highly acclaimed already at this time. And uh, we asked him, okay, this is our objective. We want the I mean, people... Just to, just, just to remind people, Marvin... The, just my people giggle were the same people who produced the very controversial, I would say, uh, uh, RC Cola ad, diba? That the, yes. These are the same people who did the RC Cola ad. Ayan. So, yes. pa, 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 how did you encounter that? Did you say, hey, I like that RC Cola ad, we're going to get them for Mega? Or did they pitch no, to you? Actually, well, my, my friend Chai, I think you know Chai also. Um, he was the one who introduced me when they did an ad before with uh, Train to Busan for their, I think, one of their Clorox products. And when I saw that ad back, back, I think two years ago, I was like, wow, that's an amazing ad. So I knew of Gigel a, a year or two back ago. Then I, we started engaging with them even before the RC Cola ad. But seriously, after the RC Cola ad all, uh, came I in, see, we, didn't wanna, we didn't, didn't want to be like RC Cola. We wanted to carve out our own with that yeah. creativity as well. So para na, na accelerate yan from up from seeing the RC code that, ah, this might be some people interesting to work with. Yung may nangyari, yes. parang ganyan. Yes. Okay. Well, we, we have to think outside of the box, right? I mean, we can't be traditional, especially now in this age where in, it's so fast-paced, the pandem pandemic's happening, people are changing, you know, the tastes are changing, what the content that they view are changing. So, you know, we had to do something drastic and uh, it, it was it was a very good turnout, very good results. We're very happy. So, so what happened? I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry I stopped you a bit. So what was yeah. next after you, you, you got Giggle to come so, on board? What happened next? Uh, so that's where we asked him to pitch. This was our objective. We wanted to tell the people about the taste, the benefit. The, you know, uh, you, we wanted to make the product sexy. We wanted to make, you know, when you when you look at the ad, you, 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 you want to have visual appeal for it because... Uh, the, the product is, the brand is very, you know, very small compared to the market leaders and uh, yeah, not, not a lot of awareness. I don't think a lot of people knew uh, that we had Mega Tuna because a lot of people know we have Mega Sardines being number one. And sometimes, you know, that's a downfall if you use the same brand name. People tend to, you know, associate yourselves with a strong brand name that, oh, that's right. Like what you said, Kanina, you said it was a Mega Sardines ad, but it wasn't a Mega Sardines ad. It's a Mega Tuna ah, see? ad. I'm an example <laughs> of exactly what you're trying to convert, right? <laughs> so that, that's what we're trying to break. You know, we're trying to carve our own character and own branding for that specific uh, product that we had. So we tapped them, they pitched us four ideas, you know, two out of the box ideas, uh, two safe ideas. I initially, to tell you honestly, RJ, I didn't like this first idea. I thought it was too much. I, I thought, uh, you know, we, ito, we ito, would have... Ito, yung butiki ad, oh, butiki ad. Oh, okay. I, I, I really thought that, you know, being a 45-year-old company, number one, my dad's going to get heck of pissed, <laughs> you know? Uh, <laughs> it's totally different, right? And uh, we, I, I really wanted to go more of a, you know, not too, you know, not too risky. But then, you know, we had it FGD. 
uh, as with everything that we're doing now, because our consultant, one of our advisors, is also from PNG before, and you might know him, Sir Manolo Escueta, of one course, of my greatest of friends in life. So he's been with Sir us for Manolo, over yeah. five years. <laughs> so we had it FGD, we, we did all the research, and we listened to the customers. And I was in that FGD, where I think that was three days FGD, focused group discussion. They love that ad. They love the Botiki ad. And to my surprise, I'm like, wow, I can't believe you guys love that ad. <laughs> so that's where in, okay, we trust the people. We don't trust ourselves because we're not the target market. We're not the that's ones right. consuming the ad. We already that's know right. what the product is. So we trust the target market. We trusted what they wanted. We trusted the FJD. And when we went with it, and uh, thank God it paid off. <laughs> Just to be clear, consumers who are the consumers that you have in mind target demographic, the primary market for Mega Tuna? What age well, group are you looking at? Primarily millennials because they're the ones that are you know, uh, health conscious. And uh, you know, in terms of budget, tuna is more upscale than sardines. So mas may kaya, mas, may, mas afford nila. And you know, our competitor has already put that you know, sexiness vibe out of that whole tuna category, which haloed to us. So a lot of millennials are eating our products, and uh, that's our main uh, target market. But of course, uh, we FGD across board, and it was overwhelmingly positive across board. Fantastic. Just curious, how did your dad take it when he first saw the ad? Because I'm sure, like, if I show that to my dad right now, he would just be, okay, next, <laughs> next. What was the story in the boardroom there? I'm sure that's going to be interesting. Yeah, well, the thing is now, um, since it's pandemic, now, my dad uh, didn't take a backseat role. Um, he were in the midst of succession planning already. Maybe we could talk about it later. So mm -hmm. he just, you know, he, my dad's an engineer. So he really focuses on production, fishing, and all that. Mm -hmm. All the sales and marketing aspects, he leaves it up to us, me, my sister, and um, our consultants and all that. Actually, we didn't even pass it by him. <laughs> we didn't even ask buy him anymore. So once he saw it, well, it already aired and it was going viral. Everyone was, you know, watching it already. We were having dinner because I live in the same compound as my parents. Oh. So he was like, "What did what what ad did you guys do? I don't understand." <laughs> he didn't understand it. Then after a while, I went back to my house and you know, then he he telegrams a group. How come you put that ad, ad out? How come there was no board approval? I'm like, oh my gosh! <laughs> he, got pissed, he got pissed at us for coming out of a strange ad that he didn't, didn't understand. But eventually, wala na rin naman siya sinabi nung nakita niya yung results and in terms of offtake, it improved in terms of traction. So, yeah, we just explained to him, yeah, our target market said this, that this is what they wanted. So we just followed what they wanted and it paid off. So, okay na. After that, okay na siya. <laughs> okay na. So, so the next ad you have to clear with him, power hindi na raw. Ano ano sabi niya sa next ad? Sabi niya depende. You would rather know it first, though. So para us, okay, okay, no problem. <laughs> Importante ang mag-save, pero bakit marami ang walang ipon? The answer is because we don't spend enough time in learning practical financial strategies. This is Fitz Villafuerte, a registered financial planner. And I'm inviting you to listen to the 80% podcast. Kung saan tuturuan ko kayo kung paano yumaman. So join me and let's talk about personal finance on the 80% podcast. But see, but you did say, I mean, let's look at the results. How did the ad do? So you're saying the offtake was good. So 
how would that compare? I mean, my basis for comparison would be your previous campaign for a mega tuna ad and this current campaign for a mega tuna yeah. ad in, in absolute value. So how how much better did it do because you came out you came out with this out of the box ad? Well, uh, in terms of traction, no, since it's relatively new, it's only two three weeks uh, old. In terms of the sales offtake, it's increasing slowly. But we, uh, then again, we can't uh, uh, we can't really fully gauge it until two three months down the line, as you would know. But in terms of traction, yes, as you said, um, it, it got worldwide attention. It got a lot of views online. Right, it was very it was viral. It saved us a lot in terms of ad spend, which was good. <laughs> yes. Actually, why we didn't have any board approvals anymore? Because technically, it's not a TVC. Uh, we, you know, uh, we need board approvals for certain uh, budgets and certain amounts. If it's a TVC massive campaign, so the beauty of it was it wasn't a you know it wasn't it was a big budget, but it wasn't that big of a budget to merit a board approval. So, um, given that uh, budget that we had, I think we fully maximized it, and we, I think the effect in terms of the recall, because the recall and awareness of the brand was achieved, because we really that was our number one target to raise brand awareness. That yeah, hey. We're not only a sardine company. Hey, this is Mega Tuna. This is our variant. This is our benefit. Try it out. So a lot of people are trying it and hopefully converting to it. Great story. Now, I just I'm just curious. Like you said, it's it wasn't a TVC. It wasn't a television commercial. Sometimes we get the jargon that's familiar to us already. We we sometimes have to explain to people yeah. because we don't understand what we're talking about. No, uh, but I guess no. When 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 the ad was uh, produced. Did it have to go through? Because if you do a television commercial, it has to go through PANA, the Philippine Association of National Advertisers. Itong ad nyo na online had to go through PANA and then you were the president of the ad when we went through PANA or hindi na kailangan naman sa inyo. Let me just correct you. It, it, it has to go through the Ad Standards Council, the ASC. Mm -hmm. So PANA is totally separate from ASC. Uh, PANA represents all the brands that uh, advertise, but see, every brand goes through ASC. So yes, we still had to go through the ASC process. It was tedious. They, you know, they're, they're, the ASC really does a good job in making sure that all advertisements are fair and balanced. We had our fair share of struggles. We had to exchange some items on the ad. And uh, yes, of course, even though I'm the president of PANA, we still had to go through that same rigorous approval process of ASC. Very interesting. Very interesting. Now, uh, let's move on to another question, which I, which I very, uh, well, which I'm very curious about. No? Now, um, it's with regard to, you know, you working for a family business because I can relate to that. And as we know, in the Philippines, there's a lot of MSMEs, uh, micro, small, medium enterprises. But karamihan ng mga negosyo sa Pilipinas, many of the businesses are actually family businesses. So many of us, I mean, especially if you're a Filipino-Chinese, you, know, that, that, you know, that is really, uh, I mean, many, many, many people, uh, if you're Filipino-Chinese, it's almost like a de facto thing that, you know, you... you Put up a family business that you have to run, and if we look at um, uh, Mega right now, it, it's literally a family business. It's, your dad is the president, and, and aside from that one, you also have uh, you also have your sister Michelle, who is the chief operating officer, and then um, your your brother uh, Malcolm. Right, he's the chief technical yeah. officer, and then you are yeah. chief growth officer. So you're you are all technically COO, child of owner. But then you're all chief or something else, Deva, in the company as well. And and one of the more difficult things uh, I would say working for a family business is really that number one, uh, it's hard to separate personal and professional ties, no? When you put things up, but it's also that you you tend to step on each other's toes, Deva, because you want your your voices to be heard. So 
tell us a bit more uh, as to you know how you guys have been handling that sort of i mean there's friction obviously i mean any business may pay friction naman yan what did you guys have to do to sort of manage that that friction moving forward to, to you know so that you would you could contribute to the company or you would all feel that you were doing something that is relevant and building the company well number one we have to communicate And uh, as you know, communication is very, very tricky, especially if you involve uh, fa- uh, the family business and the family, plus it being a failed Chai family, which is not really very emotional, you know. So communication had to be established and we had to communicate as siblings. So as I was telling you, we, were in, we are still in the midst of succession planning. My dad has found the company 45 years ago together with my mom. Um, he's now 71, turning 72, and he plans to step down or uh, step up to Chairman Emeritus in the next three years. Uh, so that leaves a, a gap in terms of who will be next, what the leadership was. So that's where in, um, yeah, we discussed it amongst ourselves, but we also got the help of outside consultants to manage the family affairs for us. And without that help, I don't think we could have managed it ourselves. And uh, what our consultant said was very simple, you know, you just... Marvin, say your piece. Michelle, say your piece. Malcolm, say your piece. Uh, say, everyone say their piece, you know, uh, one, one at a time. So it's all about bringing out all the issues that you have and um, telling the other side. Because, you know, if without communication, without us telling them what the issue was, sometimes they don't know. Like, you won't know what the issue was if they didn't tell you. So once you're aware of that issue, you now know what to counter to that. Meaning you now know what to improve. You now know how to... Uh, you know, um, uh, mirror what they want. So it's uh, primarily what we did was we communicate a lot, and especially during this uh, pandemic, wherein we couldn't see each other face to face. Zoom calls back to back to back, and we also have a 24/7 Telegram app that you know pops up 24/7, literally RJ. So we work 24/7. I wake up 3 a.m. I need to use the washroom. I check my app. Uh, then you know I answer a few questions and. It's non-stop communication, especially at this age. But 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 when, when that was happening, no. But how did it start off? Because I'm sure that you know, not all like was it clearly defined. No, ikaw dapat ikaw chief kadito, ikaw dito. How did you know which role that the the sibling, which, no. which sibling would play in the company? That's a bit more about because I want you know sometimes people get more enlightened with that with a sort of yeah. challenge or struggle and how you solved it. I hope you don't mind. Yeah, let's so, get to that. Let's, let's go step back. Yeah, that's, more, that's a good story also. Well, number one, it, it was because of the pandemic, right? Um, our operations are split into two, Manila and Zamboanga-based operations. 80% of our operations are in Zamboanga. So my dad and my brother Malcolm, who's, who are both engineers, they both handled Zamboanga. But on the pandemic, my dad had to stay home, locked down here in Manila, and no one could go to Sumbawa to operate and manage it. And at that time, I think it was April or May, uh, suddenly our, um, our, our head in Sumbawa also resigned. So that left a huge vacuum in terms of operations, in terms of leadership. So that's where we had to step up. My sister had to step up. I had to step up. We had to actively involve ourselves in the whole operations of the business Uh, which is 80% of it because me and my sister yeah. were just primarily focused here. I was sales and marketing. She was finance. She was supply chain. But the meat of the business was in operations in Sambonga, of which we were forced because of the resignation of our head. We were forced to immerse ourselves. And, you know, once we did that, we saw that that resignation was kind of a blessing in disguise. Because if we didn't ourselves go into that situation where my brother and my dad was, 
we wouldn't know 80% of the business. We wouldn't know what, what is happening in 80% of the business. Kumbaga parang iceberg eh. We were just at the tip of the iceberg, you know, enjoying the sun. But you don't go down and you see, you know, everything's rotten and everything else. So that's where, you know, we, it was a blessing in disguise. And, uh, you know, the pandemic, everything fell into place. My dad's openness at the same time because he uh, did go to Harvard a few years back. So he's very open-minded now. He's not like the traditional Filipino-Chinese type of owner anymore. So he lets us manage the business. He he gives us authority, delegation, and that helped us a lot to, you know, find our way. And until now, we're still trying to find our way. We still don't know the complete operations. It's very technical, but the progress is there, and that, that's how it got to be. And that's how, um, you know, I was VP sales and marketing before, and we, we decided that my sister would be COO. So being COO, she would encompass everything. But for me, being VP sales and marketing, when I, ha- I have a few mentors in my life and discussing the problem and all that with him, um, he mentioned, why do you have to stick to that box of a VP? Why, 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 why are you limiting your skills to only sales and marketing? Why are you only limiting the people you touch in your department? So that's where in, you know, I, I thought we thought out of the box, why not think of something else? A chief growth and development officer is not an official position in any other companies that I know. That's of. right. That's right. Me too. Yeah. Oh. So I just we just uh, we we thought of it of a way of how can I help the whole company, not only Manila base, which is only twenty percent of our operations, but the whole company, even Zamboanga and the provincial bases, to grow and to develop, and without you know that limiting factor of that title of a VP sales and marketing. Because imagine me. If I were still VP of sales and marketing, going to Sambuanga, going to the canning plant, telling them, hey, 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 I think you need to improve this. Hey, hey, I think you need to improve that. Why would they listen to me? I'm the VP for sales and marketing. I know nothing about production. I know nothing about R&D or anything like that. So, you know, these titles, although how uh, small they may seem, can have such a huge impact in, in the minds of our employees and in the minds of what you can do as a leader. So from that small title, we span from it and, you know, we just took it away. And now I'm, we're making impact all over the organization. Well, I'm so happy to hear that, you know, how, how, these, how these systems that you put in place are, are helping out your dad a lot. In, in I guess it's also very helpful for succession planning because now he actually sees yeah. that, oh, you know, any of you can, can help run the business. And if you don't mind me mentioning, you know, what comes to mind is actually I look at my, my good friend's business, the Ashana. I, know if, I don't know if you know Bud's Wenceslao. Uh, Baswanslau of, of Ashana Development Corporation, which is interesting because he's actually the youngest brother. He's the youngest among um, among the Wenceslau brothers, but he's actually the head of the head of uh, DM Wenceslau uh, because the way that they chose it was not because okay you're older you do it no because they just said who is the one who's the, the most appropriate and the most skilled and there were no egos involved. It was just you know who is the best person uh, for the job. And I, is that also what's happening, I guess, with the succession? I mean, I'm, I'm presuming that in the succession planning, that's what you guys are doing. It's also going to be who is the best sibling uh, to help in the job. Is that right? Yes, of course. I mean, who is the best fit? Who has the most experience? Who is more well-balanced? You know, who has a more grasp of uh, what's really happening down the line in operation? So it really took a lot of learning curve on all our parts. And we all unanimously agreed that it would be my sister who would be the next leader of the organization. And we're all fully behind that because we have to support Fantastic. each other. And we, you know, the egos have to be set aside. And I, I know my limits. For, for example, I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. So uh, for us to know that and be aware of that, self-aware of what we're really good at, what we're not good at, will help us, you know, 
complement each other in the future. So yes, uh, for yes, of course, we have to delegate someone and support that someone 100%. Which is the Tessie C. Coson of, uh, of, of yeah, Mega. <laughs> no, but and if you look at it, uh, the other question I want to ask also, especially if you're like, I, I come again, like I come from a family business, is that um, were you all obliged to join? Kumbaga, nung bata pa kayo, pinapwersa na kayong sumali, or was it a choice that you could work somewhere else and then come in over here? And did you have to work your way up the, the ladder as well? Yeah, well, I think from my uh, from my experience, I wasn't too much, you know, obliged or really forced to join. Again, I'm the youngest from five, right? So our company is 45 years old. So um, when I started to come in, the company was doing fairly well already. I think my elder brothers and sister were kind of forced to help uh, the company because they had no help at that time. Um, they they didn't have this professional setup, so they were kind of forced. Since I was the youngest, I still had my time. I still had, you know, when I graduated college back in 2010, I still had time to work for SM for a year. I still had time to set up my own businesses. That's eventually when after my brother Mark left for Canada, that's where I started to be more engaged with the family business. But I don't think he, my dad, he, did, he didn't tell me personally to help him in the family business. It was just a natural progression of things. And even since that we were young, you know, most big chai camp, uh, uh, businesses, at age of six, we were already brought to the office. We were already brought to all the meetings, you know. You know, I, I, I really despised my dad yeah, when he was doing it. Because <laughs> all the summer breaks, I would be in the office. All the weekends, I would be in the office. Parang every, parang he had a dinner meeting, I would be in his meeting. And eventually, you know, parang... I, see all my friends having fun, you know, going to camp, you know, having, you know, go, going out. Uh, then eventually, when, when I was in college, I realized, training them young, because even though I was there physically, I was hearing him, how he talked, how he negotiated, how he dealt with his uh, suppliers, how he dealt with other, you know, uh, clients. So, subliminally, I was, you know, understanding and learning and and when I was in college, my mindset was oh, automatically on business. I wanted to create value. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And that's where it started. And that's where I got more businesses on the side. Still thinking of what career is best for you? My name is Pat Soyo. Check out my podcast where we answer questions and debunk job descriptions by interviewing professionals so we can put an end to our career search. This is Job Defined. Available on wherever you listen to your podcast. Powered by Podcast Network Asia. That's, that's that's nice no? because I mean I want to just go back to the entrepreneurial thinking behind it because that, that's what my, the, the recurring theme on the show is that the opportunity or the irritation that you saw was that there are many second gen or third gen who don't want to do the business of their parents but that's actually a gold mine because there are many people I think you know like people who've left migrated to another country or just the kids have absolutely no interest but it's a recur the business has got good recurring for cash flow. Um, their business yeah. is uh, it's it's surviving. It's just that the kids don't want, but I mean these are the type of businesses that people I think should be looking at to to actually get into because that's where you can do the best disruption eh? or you can just take yeah. over and because the parents are, are not gonna be in into the mind of 
uh, disrupting these businesses, but but it's a time for you to come in. How did you spot it? Pala? How, can, you tell, can you tell me a bit more? I mean, I like that. How did you opportunity spot na, aha, ito, pwede kami dito kasi walang, walang, walang pumapasok dito na iba. Well, we, or na underserved, we, underserved to. Yeah, I was in Ateneo ME. Uh, so I was taking up that course. We did environmental scanning of the industry. So when I did environmental scanning of the industry, I just saw most of our competitors were, you know, hindi naman backyard, pero wala silang branding, wala silang system, wala silang website. Kung may website man, sobrang popong-popong na website na, wala silang <laughs> social media pages. So that's where we brought in everything. I mean, like, yeah, why aren't people doing this for trucks? And we should because there are buyers for trucks that are not, uh, that are on social media. And, you know, as you said, the second generation or third generation leaders are coming in from the, for the baby boomers. So the buyers right now are actually my age now. The bosses of companies who buy trucks are of my age. So they're the second generation. They're the third generation. So so we parang connected in terms of generation. Really. So you know that in your Great opportunity spotting. And have mentioned uh, the Masters of Entrepreneurship. Actually, that's the same. I think my wife went before you or after you. She was a batch before you or after you for Mercato Central. Uh, ah, yeah, she yeah, yeah. that one. Uh, as a Masters of Entrepreneurship. It was very good because uh, she was able to use that program to help us uh, transform yes. uh, the company as well. And right now, I work with... Very uh, program. It's a very, really great program. I highly endorse it uh, right now. Uh, in my board of advisors is uh, Professor Andy Ferreria, uh, Professor Jay Bernardo, and of course, our, our business partner. And also, Professor there right now is uh, Jomag, or Jose Magsay Saif Potato. Yes, Corner. of course. And we're trying to, of course, you know, all our jobs is just to disrupt and that that's... What makes it exciting, right? If you're able to spot yeah. opportunities very quickly and, and turn them around. Now, Marvin, having said this one, this excites me even more because you actually created a, your, you know, the hustle mentality. Uh, you know, having worked for other people, you had to bring that in when you started working for for your family business. I'm sure you, you brought some of that hustle and whatever you learned outside into the family business, and you had to, you know, sort of like make a mark inside the family business. How did you use what you, I guess, learned outside to do something different in the business? How did you pivot inside the business or, or create products that came that was born out of your experience, but you were able to leverage, I guess, leverage the resources of your company to 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 create this product and, and make it make it grow? So number one, I had to approach it with, um, you know, I had to be humble enough to approach it that I didn't want to be the COO again. I really didn't want to be named that because I've heard horror stories of, you know, uh, the kids coming into the office, bossing people around, gaining no respect. I didn't want to be that type of leader and boss or uh, and that mentor to my people. So I started from the bottom. Uh, I, I, I initially sold sardines together with my distributor to every Sari Sari store for a few months. I didn't realize how hard it was, uh, you know, to sell sardines to Sari Sari stores. You have to go to around 40 Sari Sari stores per day. I was an extract salesman. So out of that 40, only maybe 20 or 25 from, will buy from you. 20, that's 25 what, that's, will buy four cans, That's exactly cans. What, the, that's what Joey Concepcion used to do before when he was working for Selecta. That's how he started, ah, started right? off in, in RFM. Yeah, that, that delivery truck salesman. That's yeah, I mean, just a train from the, from the bottom. Yeah. You don't experience it. You don't know what the people are feeling in the bottom. So that's where I started and finally gaining my way up. Siyempre, naka-express route naman ako. But still, it was my eagerness and my hunger to learn the things from the bottom. And to tell you honestly, I was so overwhelmed in terms of it was a totally new business. I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know how large operations were. 
So I was so overwhelmed by the operations and everything that was happening. I, but then uh, the thing is what you mentioned, Kanina, with Jay Bernardo and uh, everyone else who was helping you, you have to get a lot of mentors. I have so That's many right. mentors who are helping me in my life. And you have to be humble enough to ask for their advice. You have to be hungry enough. And uh, one of my mentors said, you are what we seek. So it's, you know, if you seek it, you will find it. So you just have to keep on seeking it. So I think that's where I, 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 I earned my respect. I started from the bottom, worked my way up. And when I was up there, I instituted changes. Number one, social media. Back in 2015, not a lot of brands were on social media. Facebook and Google wasn't that big yet here. I wanted to advertise with them. But then I went to the agencies here. They were getting a 30% cut. I'm like, no way. I'm not giving you a 30% cut to advertise on Facebook or Google. So we go to Singapore directly. I email them. They invited me. We go to their headquarters. We set up this partnership. And until now, we still go to Facebook and Google directly. So I, can, I can't say that we're advanced in social media now, but we were one of the first movers, especially for a local brand, especially for a local pantry good brand. We were one of the first movers. And that's what I'm inspiring my people to do now. Be pioneering, be first moving, be innovative, you know, be a risk taker, challenge everything. And you know, uh, hopefully it pays off. Wow. So... And did you, in, under your leadership, did you, what, what did you bring to Mega? I know that, did you introduce new products, new initiatives, new events aside from social media? What did you see? You were good at environmental scanning. So how did you environmental scan your, your family business and spot something that wasn't, that wasn't spotted before? So were there other opportunities? When I, when like I came in, um, we've already gone through a, a, a lot of our, our different new product launches because we've always wanted to be a multi-brand company, meaning we just didn't want to rely on sardines. So we launched a luncheon meat uh, and uh, Ulam Bayans back in 2012, which failed. And uh, I analyzed it. Why did it fail? And, you know, it, it was a matter of having one culture. And uh, when I go back to what I'm good at, I don't think I'm good at marketing. I don't think I'm good at sales. I don't think I'm good at everything what you guys are good at because that's your profession. You know, that's their profession. I think what I'm good at is I'm good with people. I know I empathize with them a lot and I know what they're going through and I know how, uh, you know, how to make them um, extract the best out of them. And I think that's my primary focus now in the organization. E even before then, they were calling me the cheerleader. I'm the cheerleader of everyone cheering everyone on. I'm cheering everyone for better benefits, better pay, uh, better office, uh, mm -hmm. a better working environment, a better holistic life. You know, I, it's, it's, I think um, um, our, our, one of our directors gave a link yesterday and it was, it was talking about the purpose of companies. In that link, in that video, the purpose of companies, he said, was to increase the quality of life of its employees. And I fully agree with that because if you increase the quality of life of your employees, they in turn will increase their productivity, their customer service to our customers, Aman, to the way they do things. So that's my primary focus now. And I think that's been my primary focus even before uh, is really people taking good, good care of the people in our company. And from what I understand also as well, uh, I've been reading a lot of literature about the articles coming out uh, from Mega. And one of the key things that, that, that your dad keeps on mentioning is the idea that malasakit, compassion is one of the biggest, uh, I guess, things. And when you say malasakit for a company, you know, I, Sometimes it's just lip service, diva. Right? I mean, I hope you don't mind, but you know, it's a very motherhood statement. It's good to say. Um, but what makes Malasakit different? I mean, in Mega and, and for you, what, what did you guys, how did you guys implement Malasakit? 
I think because um, I think one of the strong facts of our company is that when we interview people is that they love to work with us because we as owners work with them. No matter what level you are in the organization, we have 4,000 employees. No matter what level you are in the organization, you will always have access to us as owners. And uh, sometimes that, I don't know if it's gravitas or anything like that, but you know they feel a sense of family. They feel a sense of belonging because we personally go down and really analyze what's wrong in each and every level. How can we make your job, how can we make your life better? So that personal touch and that, you know, when, when it comes to family business, there's a thin line between family and professionalism. You know, we always want to strive for being a professional company, but mm-hmm. never lose sight of that being a family business as well. Um, because I think that family business uh, mentality not only impacts our family, our immediate family, but our whole mega family. We call them our mega family. And calling them the mega family, treating them as our family is the malasakit. And I always tell them malasakit really goes both ways and even three ways. The malasakit employees is shown to the company by, you know, not counting hours, doing the extra mile, you know, going above and beyond what your job is. You know, um, you know, doesn't mean you're a salesman now. You can, you're just a salesman. You have to look and feel like an owner. Malasakit naman to the owners, to, uh, to the employees naman from the owner's point of view is that we have to take care of them. We have to take care of their families. We have to make sure that they are safe. We have to make sure that everything they need in terms of hospitalization, you know, all the benefits, their well education, uh, even religion, they're well taken care of. And the yung third uh, line of malasakit is that we have to show malasakit to our country. And that's uh, what's really driving the purpose of our, our uh, company now is really showing and giving back to the uh, company, uh, the country. You know, I, it's not all about lip service. If you really believe with it in your heart and if you actually do something about it, and one of the main problems we have right now in the country is uh, malnutrition, especially with the pandemic. People not being able to afford more nutritious meals at more affordable prices, which is a big, big, big uh, factor. And that's, I think, um, that's what we're aiming for right now, giving more value for money food products to the Filipinos so that they can have more nutritious options at more affordable prices. So that's uh, really our long-term goal is to provide better nutrition. Because if you don't pr- provide nutrition, you can't get that development. You can't, you know, you can't be strong. You can't work. You can't make the economy great. And it's all, it all boils down to what you eat. Get that. Get that. Now, um, having said all this one, no, um, I want to go back really right now. We've, we've been talking a lot about what, what's, what you guys have been doing in the pandemic. But let's talk a bit, a bit more about the pandemic because people also want to learn. Um, how did you manage across this pandemic? Because I'm sure that demand at the start, did decrease because of, I guess, there was a problem with product supply or, you know, because of the ECQs, people couldn't move around. I mean, that's that's how other people were thinking of it. But then you guys actually made two big capital investments amidst this pandemic, which for me, other people might find that counterintuitive, but I guess you were really investing uh, longer term when it came to thinking about the mega business. Tell us a bit more. How did you guys pivot uh, across this pandemic and how did you view the pandemic overall? So, well, number one, the pandemic really came out of a shock to everyone. Um, we weren't prepared for it. However, the good thing about being a family business and being hands-on is that we're very nimble. Automatically, overnight, we can change the system. We are direct owners. We can, you know, we are, you know, we're not answerable to so many other, you know, we're, there's no bureaucracy. There's, no, there's limited oh. politics involved. 
So when the pandemic hit, we immediately took care of our people, made sure everyone had uh, a safe environment, made sure everyone had goods at their homes. Kasi lockdown eh. Number one, you take care of your people, they felt safe, sila naman tumutulong na. So a, a week after the ECQ, uh, the lockdown happened, we started getting massive orders in. As in super daming orders. Wow. As in wow. personally, 50 calls a day tumatawag sa akin, iba-ibang tao na hindi tumatawag sa akin before. Bigla nila, hey man, remember me anyways. So a lot of people buying certificates <laughs> and daming budget. And it was a good thing that the pandemic hit March uh, because March is the start of the fishing season and that's where in lumabas na lahat ng mga barko namin, nanguhuli na kami. So stocks of sardines were sufficient, buti na lang. Kasi if that happened mga November, December, walang stock masyado yung mga sardinas. At uh, baka magutom pa yung mga kababayan natin. So um, the timing was right. We took care of our people and we made sure we were nimble. We were doing the orders ourselves. We came out with relief pricings. Um, and we were positively impacted by the whole pandemic. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not happy of it. But our company was positively impacted. It was record-breaking sales last year for us. And we're expecting record-breaking sales again this year. But again, it's all about preparation. If we weren't prepared for the pandemic, if we, we didn't have the infrastructure in place, if we didn't have the systems and team in place to deliver all the goods, imagine we were doing more than double our volume each month. And imagine if we didn't have that supply chain capability, we wouldn't be able to deliver. But fortunately enough, we did. And now, uh, that's why we're investing more and more. Um, actually, we, it was a, a long-term plan. We were planning to invest already in Batangas, our, our plant there. I think three years back, we've been looking for property already because uh, our, our supply has always been limited. And there's a good abundant source of fish in Bulan near Zimbonga where uh, we can tap. So, but rather than you know, um, making, we, we doubled the investment we initially uh, was going to put into Batangas because of the pandemic, because of our brand as well being so strong in the market right now. And even in Sambonga, where we, we went there, we saw that their offices were so cluttered. It was so backwards. It, it wasn't even high class. You know, you want to go into an office, feel like it's in an office, you know, feel that it's nice, fully air conditioned, with partitions. So we had to make a new headquarters there and uh, it's opening. it opened and everyone moved there, everyone feels happy about it. And you feel uh, yeah, more sense, more dignity in your work when you work in that type of environment. Hi, this is Michael Waits and I'm the host of the Age of Tech podcast. Join me as I interview tech thought leaders, investors, and business founders across Asia to get the best insights on how they built their businesses from the ground up. Check out my new episodes every Wednesday at asiatechpodcast.com. All things Asia, all things tech. Fantastic. Now, moving ahead, no, not much time left here in the podcast, but um, from your perspective, Marvin, what are you seeing right now as the emerging opportunities that are coming out from this pandemic? Because, I mean, you've had a chance to environmental scan. I mean, of course, you're seeing things that are happening within your business, right? Within, I guess, in, in the fishing, in the, in, the, in, the, in the industry, the canned uh, food industry. But you're also seeing opportunities, I guess, in, in logistics, I guess, even in advertising. What are you seeing overall as the emerging opportunities? Uh, you know, they said, don't put a good, don't, that a good crisis go to waste. What do you still think is coming out that, that people can take advantage of that you, you know, if you had time, you would, but you just can't right now? Well, there's a lot. Uh, I've been thinking of a lot, but uh, of course, the pandemic taught us to, you know, what are the basic necessities of life? 
food will always still be the basic necessity of life. And food will always be a good opportunity, especially now we're in a lot of restaurants, unfortunately, are closing. People would have to find their food elsewhere. And there's been a, a surge of uh, a Viber community groups, you know, kaitsino na lang, nagbebenta ng food left and right. Gulat nga ako, kapitbahay ko, daming binibenta pagkain, naglalayo pa ako, doon na lang bibili. So food is a major opportunity. How you can revolutionize the way you deliver food, the way you package food, the way you uh, cook the food is something different. That's an opportunity. Um, e-commerce will always be a big opportunity. I think triple-digit growth for e-commerce, even for sardines, napakalaki. If you can get your hands into e-commerce, learn it well. I, for one, cannot. I cannot fully comprehend it. I don't know why. I'm still a millennial, but I don't. I, I you know, I can't really comprehend all those technicalities. Cryptocurrency is also a big, big thing. Um, I'm learning a lot from my friends about it. It's also something uh, big that will happen, I hear, in the future. Again, don't have enough time to research and uh, dwell on it. But I think those are three massive uh, big opportunities. And of course, uh, right now, you know, being traditionalists again, look at all the uh, companies, you know, going broke, unfortunately, closing down. Now is a good opportunity if you have the cash to either, you know, because sometime January next year, where a lot of the population has already been vaccinated, will start be, you know, start coming up again. You know, now's the best time for acquisitions, partnership, uh, liquidity rounds uh, to get uh, to buy into them or, uh, you know, uh, get a concept. You don't have to, you, know, you don't have to innovate. You just copy and replicate and improve. Right? So, you know, look at the opportunities, look at the people closing down, look at the long-term horizon and see the right timing to get back in. Because in January, that's the right timing. You get back in there before them. So, you know, you always have to look at those opportunities, even though it's bad for some, but it might be good for you. And with that, thanks so much, Marvin. Really great way to look at things. You know, I, what I really appreciate from this discussion was really an opening of the mind of how it's like if you're able to create a formidable family business, put the systems in place, keep the spirit of the entrepreneur alive, especially your dad, by making sure that the systems are in place, which he can measure, which he appreciates, uh, with good succession planning, taking the egos out of play and putting the right person in place. You can really grow a business, but you can't grow a good business without malasakit. And that's what you've taught me here tonight. So again, Maramis Ramat, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, on this RJ Ledesma podcast. We hope to hear and see you guys back here next week again. Thank you so much, Mr. Marvin Tulim. We'll see you guys again next week. Thank you, guys. Thank you, RJ. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com/trip for free shipping and 365 day returns.